very specifically what incredible benefits so you're focusing on the customer and then what incredible benefits can we as a team give to the customer now if you keep saying to yourself what incredible benefit do i give to the customer or i look after the customer or only i can look after the customer it's a mindset shift first and foremost then it's about saying can that customer get that incredible benefit in my absence or or if i'm just there half the time or a quarter of the time you can't go from 100% to nothing. Doesn't work like that. You got to scale out. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure? To perform. These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today is the founder of Best Practice Biz, host of the Infinite Business Summit, and the author of How to Build a Business That Others Want to Buy. His education includes a Bachelor of Applied Science from Western Sydney University and has certifications in business, strategy, consulting, and marketing. As an entrepreneur, he has founded Simit Consulting, Best Practice Biz, Next Practice, kobesimit.com, The Talking Business Podcast, and is the Editor-in-Chief for Infinite Magazine. I have the pleasure of welcoming the former president of the Australian Open Skiff Association, a specialist in business certification, and proud father who was once influenced by Dick Smith, Kobe Simic. Kobe, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Kobe, I know you've got uh, diggers and excavation outside your window, um, but I'd love to know, where did you grow up and what was the big dream when you were running around the playground? Yeah, look, um, I grew up in the, the outskirts of Sydney, uh, the southern outskirts and then the northern outskirts of Sydney in, um, you know, to, to what were in the 70s, two little fishing villages. Um, and uh, I grew up in, a, in a, uh, a self-employed family, if you like. My father's an architect. Um, my mum was a full, full-time stay-at-home mum. Um, and, you know, I've got a, a, younger, a very younger brother and a middle sister. So um, I'm the oldest. Um, and... When I was running around the playground, right through primary school and uh, and right through high school, whenever you filled out the little form for the careers counsellor or you were at primary school, what do you want to want to want to be when you grow up? Or my mates wanted to be astronauts and firemen and policemen, that sort of stuff. I just wanted to be self-employed, you know, so uh, a builder or an architect or someone in the construction industry. And um, yeah, kind of in a roundabout way, I'm 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 doing that as a hobby. But um, yeah, that's all I could think about was running my own business from like literally from the day I was born. So having that autonomy to run your own business, 
Did you find school fulfilling? Like, did it fulfill your desires or did you find it quite a challenge to, to get through the daily task and grind of being there with the teacher, getting you to rope learn something? Yeah, look, I, I, I really struggle with school. I, I am, um, you know, the antithesis of the successful business person that was the, the high school dropout. Um, I did go to school. I didn't ever, what we called back then, wag a lesson. I didn't, you know, was, there was never any truancy. I showed up to every single lesson in high school. I rarely took a sick day. Was I there? I might have been there physically, but I definitely wasn't there mentally. And in my late teens, you know, sort of 15 onwards, when I had started working at the local corner store, you know, there was a general store that sold ice creams and meat pies and burgers and hot chips. And we had some hire boats. People could hire a boat, hire a little hire fishing boat and go fishing on the river. Um, I just couldn't wait to be at work. So school was kind of like idle time, you know, so I could get to work after school or on the weekends or school holidays or Christmas days, boxing days. I worked all the, every single day I possibly could as soon as I could. And um, yeah, it just, you know, I think mentally, you know, school, I didn't get it. I didn't get the game of school. Um, and I think back to kind of wanting to be self-employed my whole life. Um, I didn't have an example to follow. I didn't have a, an employee, you know, there was no employee that kind of got up and went to work at a job and came home and did their thing and had that, you know, that, that those boundaries around, you know, these, this is my personal time and this is my work time. You know, we were in a family that had a family business. Um, and, and so that family business ran 24-7. Um, you know, my dad left early, got home late, worked weekends, all of our holidays were looking at jobs, inspecting sites, meeting with clients. It was always dinner with clients, holidays with clients, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the, that I was that kid that, you know, and, and quick-witted. So, you know, that created problems at school too, gift of the gab and, and, and talking a lot. And so, um, yeah, I didn't get the system. Now I look back, um, I probably could have played that system a lot differently and that's the benefit of hindsight. Um, but in the moment, I just didn't get it. Okay, so if you got a call from the Australian Prime Minister and he said that, Kobe, you are now the Minister of Education and you have a mandate to, to totally restructure the education system from February 2024, what would you do to change the education system that would allow people to develop the skills to be more entrepreneurial? I'd, um, I'd show all the kids how to cheat. I think that's the first, um, you know, that's the first thing is that there's too much emphasis put on exam results. I've, you know, I've got an answer for this question because I've had this question before, but, um, you know, and I, this is what I've been talking about with my son. I didn't understand that the answers to the questions that were going to be asked either in class or in an assignment or in an assessment were in the textbook. I didn't get that. I had mm. the textbook. I read the textbook. I didn't understand. I, I would often read the textbook after the lesson. When I eventually figured out that you could read the textbook before the lesson, kind of have a peruse through it, there was no pressure because you're, you're reading the textbook, you're reading ahead. There's no pressure on you to go, I need to know this, I need to remember this because we talked about it in class. I'm going to have to play it back in, a, in an assessment, a test, a, mm. an assignment and exam conditions. And so the simple art of conveying, and I'm doing this with my 12-year-old um, my who's, who's just started high school or he's you know, he's halfway through his first year of high school. I've said to him, mate, you want to know the secret? I'll teach you how to cheat at high school. What I'll do is we'll get in and we'll get into the textbook and we'll flick a couple of pages ahead and we'll see what the teacher's going to talk about. And then you can have a big cheeky smile on your face because you know what he's going to say before he's going to say it because you've already read ahead in the textbook. Mm. 
And so that's giving him some confidence. In class, he's hearing the information for a second time, particularly for a child like me that's got a short attention span. I'm not going to profess to say I've never been diagnosed with ADD. I don't think I have it. I just think my mind goes really quickly. And and I found that in books now. You know, I have over 500 books in my business books library um, that I, you know, I use for all aspects of business. And and I can read ahead. And and sometimes I come across problems in business. I'm like, oh, you know what? That's in Tim Ferriss's books. Let me go find that chapter. I've already read about that. What did how did he approach that problem? Subtly different, but oh, I can get the concept. And through COVID, you know, a couple of the great books in my library, I have so they've saved me. For $30, some of those books have saved me millions of dollars, mm. millions of dollars, like $30 for the, <clears throat> excuse me, for the hard thing about hard things by um, uh, by Ben Horowitz. That book saved, I can very clearly, uh, I know a very clear situation in during COVID where that book saved me a million dollars. Um, you know, so, something could have gone disastrous. The guidance, I kind of lightly adjusted the guidance in that book, applied it. And, um, and and we had a successful outcome for everyone involved in the businesses that I was running at the time. So if I was to change the education system, that's how I would be pitching it. So I don't think it needs a radical change, a lot of wasted time, money and resources. It's just reordering, um, you know, reordering the narrative. And, and, and I think getting the education system to start with why. I was the kid that said, why should we do this? You know, well, I don't understand this. Why are we doing this? And I was always asking that question. The teachers never had an answer. But if we could start with why, which is, hey, kids, it'd be a really great idea if we could get you set up for things that you might come across later on in life. So what we're going to do in school is we're going to expose you to a few different things. We're going to show you sewing machines and teach you how to sew. And then we're going to show you some maths so that maybe you can run a shop outside of a farm or maybe you can, you know, count bricks to build a, build a house or maybe you can, you know, measure things when you go to Bunnings to buy some building materials for DIY on the weekend. We're going to teach you some of those foundational principles. And really importantly, I don't want you to get ripped off because if you don't understand some of this stuff, people might take advantage of you. So we want to set you up to be successful. We want to set you up to know some of this stuff so people don't take advantage of you. And then what we're going to do, <clears throat> we're going to give you some books to read and some things to consume. And then we'll talk about it a bit more afterwards. And then we might do a test on it to see how you're going and whether you're retaining it. But when we do tests, we're just doing those things to see whether our teaching style has been successful and whether you're actually absorbing the information. And if you don't get it right, we're going to work with you until you've absorbed the information to a level that we're confident to kind of let you go out into the world. And it just frame, reframes that narrative because for me, it was like, ah, I'm going to fail everything. I need to get to this exam result. I don't know how to study, you know, the order of things. My mind was, you know, jumbled up. And then I turned 15 and started chasing girls. Forget school, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so I think... Um, yeah, I think, you know, professional development and learning is, is something I'm very passionate about and it's very close to my heart and it starts with kids. And I, and I think that's a great question. Mm. Very, very good. So for you, uh, a very entrepreneurial mindset, thinking about, you know, owning your own business, obviously working for other people, were there any great mentors like or, or someone that kind of stands out along the way? You know, was it the owner of the corner, corner dairy um, or was there someone else that kind of really helped set you up to succeed when it comes to being an entrepreneur? Yeah, look, there's a couple of people. Um, there's absolutely the person, the first person that, that comes to mind is uh, is Karen Pinney. Um, at the time in the mid-90s, she was the lotto lady that, you know, announced the lotto numbers. Um, lovely. She owned the store. She she let me work hard. Um, and, and I think that was really great. Um, the second person who you mentioned in the introduction was uh, was Dick Smith. 
Um, I caught the bus to and from school uh, for my high school life with um, with Dick Smith's youngest daughter. Um, his oldest daughter, you know, she's a couple of years ahead, and so kind of half of my high school life, um, you know, she left um, and, and moved on to university. But his youngest daughter was a year above me at school, and I sat, you know, next to her or beside her or in the next row, uh, as you know, part of my group of friends. He came and did a kind of careers day speech for us at high school, and he said, "Look." He said, I'm not going to um, sugarcoat any of this for you guys. I'm super successful. Um, that's been great. I've worked really hard. It comes down to hard work. Nothing's gonna, there's no easy wins. There's no easy money. Um, you know, Working really hard and doing something that you enjoy is really important, but working hard, more importantly. like If you can do a 12-hour day, 15-hour day, do it because you will do a double day. And if you do a bunch of you know 15-hour days in a week, you're going to work two weeks for everybody else's one week. You're going to get further ahead in life. It's just simple maths. And so, um, you know, and, and, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, you won't burn yourself out. But he said one, ne the next thing he said, which really resounded with me and, and, and kind of, you know, gets to the, gets to the answer to the question. He said about 5% of you guys here in this rock, guys and girls, and it was about 120 of us year 12 uh, at the time in the room, said about 5% of you guys are going to die pretty soon, like probably overdose on drugs. Um, you know, you might have a car accident, um, something happened with your health. Sorry to say that, but they're the statistics. 10% uh, of you are going to struggle your whole life, probably have some kind of drug addiction or alcohol addiction, you know, self-medication. You're going to spend all of your money feeding that addiction, probably poker machines, gambling. You're going to have a miserable life. You're going to live at the dump of a house. Um, you won't have very nice clothes. You're going to be absolutely miserable. You probably won't take care of yourselves. Um, and you're just going to be the ugly part of society. About the next 20, 30% of you guys will be battlers your whole life. You're going to be the lower middle class. Um, you're going to live in, you know, reasonable houses. You'll have reasonable children, but you'll, you know, your kids will go through the public school system. Um, nothing wrong with that. Uh, this is a public school. We were at a state public school. He sent his daughters to to the local state public school. Uh, great school, but you're going to be battlers. Uh, probably never get anywhere. Probably be driving a shit car your whole life. Uh, and he was blunt about it. Mm -hmm. He said, "There's a group in here of about 10%. You'll excel. You'll be doctors, dentists, uh, lawyers, solicitors." Uh, you know, the, the highly paid service personnel for the community um, do quite well for yourself. There'll be a bunch of you that are probably outperforming sports and things like that, but you'll never earn any money. Um, and then there, there's probably two, one or two in this room who are going to be super successful. You will be the ones that everyone talks about. You will be the ones that make lots of money. You'll be the ones that be super successful. You'll enjoy life and you'll, you'll do great things. And in that moment, three days before the end of year 12, I said, that's me. He's talking to me. He's talking about me. I'm going to nail it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to nail it. But I'm going to be that guy. And and it was that 35, 40-minute chat with Dick Smith, who you know I came across from time to time because I was friends with um, with one of his daughters. Um, you know, I caught the bus to and from school, and we saw him at the scout group and, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, he's gone on to do some great stuff for Australia and be an adventurer and, you know, outdoor kind of stuff. But it was in that, you know, that 35 minutes where a switch clicked that mm. actually I need to work hard. I need to focus. I need to keep searching because I will find the solution and I will get there. And it gave me a little bit of hope more than anything. Um, and it really lit a fuse that, you know, really got me going. And when I left high school, I couldn't figure out high school. I couldn't figure, I couldn't get anything right. All of my exams, you know, the lowest score you could possibly get. They might as well have just, um, you know, given me my high school certificate uh, for attendance, you know, <laughs> showing up award. Um, but 
I got myself into a TAFE course, two-year business diploma, and I got myself into a three-year university degree. And in those five years, I got one question wrong in in any exam assessment assignment. So five years of full-time tertiary study, I went from getting every question wrong to getting every question right. By and large, I figured out how to play the system, not cheat, but learn and um, and learn in a better adult education environment. And um, and then that it's, it's been from that point, you know, there's been ups and downs along the way, but it was amazing to start seeing high distinctions and A's and 100% in all of my assessments because I was interested in what I was studying. I understood it. I knew its application. I'm like, I need to use these things. First and foremost, I don't want to fail because I can't afford to pay for these things twice. Yeah. But more importantly, um, you know, be tertiary educated. And I dragged myself through tertiary education. So you, you've gone through, studied. What, what was your first business you started? So I started a, um, a consulting business um, in right when, you know, when GST was being played with. Um, and I was, I was running around doing some advisory work, believe it or not, in greenhouse gas carbon footprint modeling in 1998. Talk about being way too far ahead of my time. Um, I had a you know a Bachelor of Applied Science degree and someone asked me to kind of do this work. It was maths and statistics and it, I found it easy. Um, and so I was doing this carbon modeling um, for the city's climate protection campaign and I was contracting. Um, John Howard took it upon himself. Actually, it wasn't John Howard or was it John Howard? I can't remember. Uh, in 2000, um, the, the GST, the Liberal Party bought out the GST legislation and said, right, everybody needs to do a bad statement. I couldn't figure it out. They hadn't figured out the system quite. And so I stopped and I ended up with a full-time job for about three years um, and then and then kind of restarted. So that was the first thing. It was just professional services, doing some consulting work, getting a good hourly rate. Um, and that was when I got a taste of actually I'm in control of my own destiny. Yeah, very good. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit. When did you find, like obviously you're going to make a lot of mistakes. We, we all do along the way as entrepreneurs. And we learn, you know, obviously we need to learn fast and, and keep driving forward. But what was that moment where you realized, you know what, hey, I think I've got this figured out in a way where I can actually start to scale my business. It's got some sustainability to it. I'm, I, I'm not worried about the if I'm going to put food on my table next week or not. You know, it's actually not that long ago. Um, it's probably less than five years ago where... Um, I think the anxiety around is this thing going to work um, drifted away, but I but I think that that came from my father's business. Um, you know, had a significant collapse um, out the back of the high interest rate period and the con- collapse of the construction industry in the late eighties, early nineties, and I just had this kind of Groundhog Day. You know, um, you know, future repeats. You know, that you know, history repeats itself. Um, and and it's probably about 20 probably about 2017 2018 where i was like okay actually i think we're under control you know and we we built a recurring revenue business uh we were starting to see that recurring revenue growing at kind of 20 to 30 percent per annum um and and then we hit the point of no return which meant that the recurring revenue was spitting off sorry the yeah the point of a good return, if you like, where the, where the recurring revenue was spitting off profit and the profit was healthy and the business wasn't soaking up a lot of that cash in growth. And and I think that, you know, I kind of a, a few lessons all got learnt in a really short period of time, which was 
you know, the reinvest the constant reinvestment of profit to grow the business, um, the constant churn of people as you find the right people and you get better at hiring um, and the team grows, hitting the, the scale point where it all starts to work. And um, and then it really, you know, it, it, the profit, the profit specifically grew very quickly from that point. Revenue was going great, um, but, you know, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. And it was really at that point where, um, you know, we, we kind of said, right, let's nail it. Um, and, and, and we're starting to see, you know, the, the, the great P&Ls coming through monthly um, on a regular basis. Don't get me wrong, there was still a bunch of months where we lost a bunch of money, um, but we were, we were starting to get better at budgeting, forecasting, recording, reporting, and, thing, and that kind of all happened at the same time. And I would say probably 2017, 2018. Yeah. What was it a mindset like for you? Was it a mindset shift or was it more of just a maturity of understanding processes? Yeah, look, I think, yes, I think it was definitely a mindset shift and a maturity of understanding processes. But there's one other thing. I've always had mentors. I've always paid a coach and high performance professionals to help me, whether it's uh, a legal team, uh, accountant. Um, and I've always, you know, for a long period of time, um, probably from say 2010, 2011, had a business coach of some form. Um, and it's, and I, I stumbled across a, a better coach, if you like. Mm. And in fact, at that time, somebody who had interviewed me for a job, you know, 20 years ago, uh, approached me and said, Hey, you know, we'd been talking loosely for a number of years, but he said, Hey, I think, you know, your office is just up the road. Um, I'm not doing much. I'm sick of, you know, you know, edging my lawns and taking my bins out. I'm semi-retired. I think I could come and add some value to the business. So we formed a non-executive advisory board for the business and the three of us were getting together monthly. And so, yes, it was mindset and yes, it was maturity, but that came with me also learning that if I keep my mouth shut and listen to these two guys who are older than me and wiser than me and been doing it a lot longer than me, and they're going to give me some tips and tricks and kind of know help me you know help me from falling in potholes um because that's what was happening the road was getting smoother but there was still potholes mm. um and and it was at that time I, it's definitely you know a, a very memorable time in in my career where i was kind of loosely figuring it out and you know shooting from the hip and then all of a sudden these guys came on board and they added to my you know my bigger you know, area of awareness, if you like. Plus, they were also looking out. You know, they're looking outwards as well. And so we had six eyes looking at things instead of just two. Mm. Very smart. In regards to businesses, you know, people start out quite often, it's on their own or they may have a business partner. And the business tends to be a lot about them. I mean, it depends on what you're selling. You yeah, know, yeah, 100%. In your yep. product. Like if it's more of a product, it's, it's generally not so much about you, but if it's a service, so let's look at services. It generally becomes about the human. People start to come because of the human. So how can people set up a more of a service uh, focused business in a way uh, that allows them to grow and scale it? Because if, if it becomes about you, it can be really tricky. So have you found anything along the way that enables people to be able to separate it from being all about you so that it can expand and grow in the future absolutely i'm going to say this really slowly because it's really important for everybody listening what incredible benefits can we give to the customer i'll say that again what incredible benefits can we 
give to the customer. And it's a quote from Steve Jobs. Mm. So, you know, Steve Jobs is the, the CEO and, and founder of Apple. So very specifically, what incredible benefits? So you're focusing on the customer and then what incredible benefits can we as a team give to the customer? Now, if you keep saying to yourself, what incredible benefit do I give to the customer or I look after the customer or only I can look after the customer, it's a mindset shift first mm. and foremost. Then it's about saying, can that customer get that incredible benefit in my absence or or if I'm just there half the time or a quarter of the time? You can't go from 100% to nothing. It doesn't work like that. You've yeah. got to scale out. So you're scaling out a day a week, two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, five days a week so that you're not the key person. And by the way, if you can do that, your business is worth more because someone can buy it and you don't need to be there. Correct. And so let's throw in a, a multiple of, you know, if we want to start throwing multiples of profitability into the conversation about your business is worth numbers of times of profit. So one, two, three, four, five, say 10, 20, not, probably not 20. It needs to be an infrastructure selling gas and oil. Uh, for, for 20 times profit. But um, when you're talking about a multiple of profit, if you can take yourself out as the key technician, then you're going to add a multiple of profit. So if your business is doing a million dollars profit, you take yourself out of it on the day-to-day basis, your business is worth, your business will be worth $2 million. So yeah. it's an extra multiple of profit. So it's giving you a multiple of, you know, it's giving you a million dollars profit per year. It might be worth one times profit. Uh, you get yourself out of it, it might be worth two times profit. Um, there's lots of other things. So if you've got a mature management team, it'll be worth three or four times profit. Mm. So I, I think that's the first thing is um, it's very difficult to go from zero to 100 very quickly. So you want to go, all right, how do we back out slowly? So you might do the front end and the setup, and then I've got this great person that's going to look after you on a day-to-day basis and help you get this incredible benefit. And when that person delivers that benefit to the customer, then the customer will be attached to that person. At the moment, you're giving the benefit. Hmm. And so empowering and upskilling your team members to learn from their mistakes as well. Like, And I think that's the important thing that you can be there watching and, and, and watch your apprentices uh, and watch them really quick, really carefully. And, you know, to quote Star Wars, you know, you might be the Jedi master, but you want your Padawan learners to, to kind of be learning and making mistakes in a safe environment and say, look, I'm going to get this person to help you. I'm right behind. You're going to get two for one. Uh, this person's learning and they're going to get in there. They're going to give you the incredible benefit. Let that person succeed. And then progressively, they're going to get better. Then your job will be to coach and mentor. And, and the master craftsman. If we go back 2,000 years, success was created with master craftsmen training lots of apprentices. And the, and the master was an apprentice. You were an apprentice. You were really crap at your job not so long ago in the history of the universe. Yeah. And so absolutely the people around you can learn. So you, so. Your job as the leader is to be setting up a really safe environment for people to get experience and experience is knowing the mistakes that you make and the mistake by making the mistakes, you learn to avoid them. And so the safer you can make that mistake making exercise for your people and the, and the faster you can do that, the faster they're going to grow. But I hear so many people, there was a guy right outside my window only 15 minutes before we started, who was like, ah. I find it really hard and, you know, I've got it all all myself. It's like, mate, no, you don't. You just need to hover around. And if you see them like about to make a really big expense from the state, you know, stop in and you know, stop them and say, hey, look, maybe we could do that differently. Or what do you think you're doing wrong there? And coach and train. Yeah. And that's what being a great leader is all about. Yeah, very good. Because 
We started Speakers Institute Corporate and at the beginning, the first year I delivered zero services. My business partner delivered one a quarter. So we totally outsourced the delivery from day one, which has allowed us to scale and grow really, really fast. The, the, the interesting one has been around how we are able to separate ourselves from the business development because it's very bespoke and requires you to understand all elements of the business to do it really, really well. So that, that's, a, that's a good fun aspect we're navigating at the moment because we've got the first part right, which is very rare for a service organization to be able to deliver, to, to be able to set a business up like that. We didn't do it on purpose. It just kind of happened. But yeah, now it's the business development one, which is the interesting one is finding the right people to, to learn the multiple aspects of, of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, a, it's good fun. I love it. I love, I love the, that's the beauty about entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, for everyone listening too, there are no rules when it comes to entrepreneurship. Like you can flip the model on what someone's using and be more successful. Um, 100%. So don't be, don't be caught up in thinking that because someone tells you to do this, that it must be the way. No, it's look at what's in front of you and serve the customer serve the client what do they need and 100 percent. focus on that, that benefit yeah 100 percent. focus on that benefit like what incredible benefit can we give the customer or do we give the customer and keep focusing on that benefit and then you're just having fun finding all those great ways to ensure mm. that they get that benefit in exchange for their hard-earned money 100 percent. oh very very good obviously you've seen a shift over your time in business uh in the way we market and advertise and um, you know, and, and it's, it's always changing too. It's not a simple formula of here, you pay this much money, you put an ad on radio, you pay this much money and you have a billboard. Um, things have changed a lot. And with social media, you know, what are you seeing in regards to things that are really supporting businesses and things that are maybe holding them back in regards to social media and, or even digital media as a platform for getting making your business and services or products visible yeah i think i think two things um uh and there's so much to talk about on this particular landscape <clears throat> so let's just talk right now about views for example um your views on pick a platform instagram TikTok, facebook youtube linkedin you know whatever it might be so we we put up a post and then we look and see how many views we got um, I'm not going to talk about likes or shares at the moment. Let's just focus on views. Um, now, think about how much time, so anyone listening and, and, and anyone kind of, you know, getting across this content, think about how much time you personally spend on social media, for example, per day, per hour, per week, per month. Let's not think months for the moment. Let's think per day. But, you know, someone, you know, 12 months ago, I might have checked LinkedIn eight times a day. And I might have been on LinkedIn for 15 to 20 minutes, eight times a day. Um, and so, you know, that that is, say I, say I make three hours a day available for LinkedIn, for example. So LinkedIn's got me for three hours. And then I'm going to scroll my feed. One thing that I noticed uh, about 18 months ago is LinkedIn went from an ad every six posts so when I'm scrolling my feed, every sixth post is an ad mm. to three organic posts, one ad. So essentially, they doubled the spaces available for ads. 
that carried through onto Instagram. Instagram was at about six. They dropped to at one point they were at every second, sorry, every third post was an ad, and then they dropped. They people noticed, and so they dropped it back one. Um, so what's happened is everybody's complaining. My organic views have dropped. Well, we're all still spending the same, if not more, time on social media. So the actual available viewing time has not changed. But what has changed is the platform has got everybody in, trained all the humans to consume the content, trained all the humans to open the app and, you know, without even noticing, just mindlessly, you know, putting on the kettle in the tea room or, you know, waiting for the coffee machine to warm up. And I'll just, I don't even realize that I clicked on the Instagram icon and started scrolling Instagram or clicked on LinkedIn and started scrolling LinkedIn. I'm actually not even reading the content. I'm mm. just, you know, I'm just going through the motions. And so what has happened, particularly right at the end of kind of the, the hot spot of COVID as, you know, there was lots of organic availability because lots of people on content because everybody's at home, um, is that they went, hang on a minute, we can actually, that people are, this demand for our advertising space, people, people are addicted to getting views on their content and there's a bunch of people that are prepared to pay to actually get more views or place the content. And so what I've noticed, if this helps anybody listening, is that um, it's become more so, more, more focused, more accepted as a pay-to-play space. Mm. So the other thing that I've noticed is that we have, though, still got the ability, while we're not very good at it, without any followers or subscribers, we've got no one watching. We've got the, the ability to A, copy people who are doing really well and make really great content. So we don't have to kind of create it ourselves and figure out how to do it so that we can copy and you see that, you know, stuff trends occasionally, something's working really well and lots of people go do it. Um, so we've got the ability to kind of experiment and play and try to get some good organic views, but then only back our quality content that works with some money. So I think that whereas when you talked about the billboard or that kind of stuff, it was only kind of the ad agency saying, we think this is going to work. Let's spend the money, put it up on the billboard. What has changed now in the platform is very significant. And that is that you can practice with your friends and family. And they're often going to be the most critical people when you start posting to social media because they're the only people that see your stuff because you haven't got thousands of followers yet. And everyone's, oh, I don't want to put that up. I don't want it. It's not going to be very good. I don't like it. Everyone's going to see it. It's like, actually, you know what? No one's watching. Right when you start your podcast, your videos, any of that kind of stuff. I've been doing YouTube for a solid 10 years. I got a channel to 20,000 subscribers in a really niche area. And in the beginning, no one was watching. You know, And I look back now and I, and I knew that from the beginning. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put myself out there. You know, I've got a bald head and you know, I sit around and I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty handsome, but you know, not everybody does. Um, but you know, it's, you know, you get out there and, and, and putting your content out and, and if something pops and goes, well, put some money behind it. So you don't put money behind your poor performing content to get the views up. You put your money behind your best performing content and it goes even further because organically the algorithm and the algorithm is people. And if they don't like it, they don't look at it. If they don't like it, they don't watch it, you know? And, and, um, and, and, and so I think that's the best thing that's happened for business in in the last 30 years is that we can practice on the market and then put money you know then put up the billboard and say it's going really well hmm. okay uh, i like that i think that's that's uh, really fascinating now you talk about the five m's that make or break a business uh do you want to uh ex expand on those or, or share those and why do they make or break a business yeah look um 
let's quickly go through what they are. It's mindset, momentum, management, marketing, and money. And 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 it, and we and you know as I was kind of forming you know this idea of how do we do this, the first thing is it's so I can put my hand up when I'm speaking, <laughs> and and say there's five things and I can remember it, and they all start with with M, so they're easy to remember. Um, and and then you know you can kind of break it down and say okay, well that gives me something. I know there's five M's. I know I can put kind of you know hand up or you know two hands. I hopefully got all your digits. Um, and you can go, okay, what were those five things that Kobe said? So it starts with mindset. And, you know, I was just out to lunch today with, uh, with a uh, really good friend of mine, and we were kind of talking about the limiting beliefs. He's working for a super successful CEO that's got a super successful tech startup, and the private equity firm that's pumped a heap of money into that business wants him to go across the Manhattan and then get a helicopter to Jersey to spend a weekend at a resort and they're spending bucket loads of money on this, you know, this junket with all the CEOs from that are that are the private equity, um, you know, the businesses the private equity firm is invested in. And the guy's like, I don't want to go. It's too much waste of money. And the guy's like, You need to go because you need to see how big the world is, and how how big the scale is that these guys are doing things. And these are you know hundreds of billions of dollars of funds under management. Um, and so the, the limiting belief, I think, is probably the first thing, which is I can't do this or I don't know if I can do this or I don't want to do this. So I think mindset's really important and there's heaps of content on mindset. For me, it's really about I'm a super productive person and I like writing lists and I like knocking stuff off the list and I like doing that at four o'clock in the morning. Um, and so if I don't eat properly and if I'm tired, my mindset's not right. So, you know, we can get into lots of other things, but I think, you know, really asking yourself your question, have I got the right mindset for taking this business where I believe it can go? Because my ego will say my business is going to take over the world and my thing solves the problem for everybody. But, um, we, you know, we don't always get there. Momentum. Um, you can see from my passion and motivation that momentum for me is quite easy. Um, but momentum is important. And and I think I'd, I don't want to hate on some of the uh, more self-aware practical activities we can do like you know journaling and meditation and those kinds of things but i believe those things break momentum i think that getting up and getting straight into work and going while you're fresh in the morning um you're fresh and you're ready to go and and i don't like the fact that i bounce out of bed and get straight into it you know i've tried meditating in the morning and i've tried you know journaling and that kind of stuff i think they're good practices but for me they don't work first thing in the morning they work when i'm tired and cranky in the afternoon journaling slows me down meditation fixes my mood and I can, you know, have a better evening with my family. So, so I think that momentum and thinking about where things are placed and, you know, if we've got high performance, you know, players on the field, we want to amp them up with eye of the tiger before they go on the footy field, not say, right, everybody chill and meditate before you get out, you know, high performance sports people. So, so I think, you know, I think momentum is really important and you've got to amp yourself up. And because if you can amp yourself up, you can get yourself going um, to get through it. Management, obviously, super important, um, and 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 I think the concept that probably has been lost in modern history is the master and apprentice concept. In business, we kind of, I think we failed to do that because we are, you know, we know we're the person that can solve all the problems, get in and get it all, you know, get it all out of the way. We push people out of the way, you know, and, and when we're trying to run businesses, and we want to grow and scale, but then we're like, no, I need to do it myself because it'll get done properly. Um, so, so I think that when we talk about management, you know, the first hire, and I talk about businesses growing like a tree, uh, and then there becomes space between the branches. And and 
we want to hire people that really love doing the things that we really hate doing. And that needs to be our first hire. And if, if you can write yourself, a lot of people, if you ask the question, hey, what do you want to do? What do you love doing? And they go, oh, I don't know. But you say, what do you really hate doing? They can rattle off 10 things and say, okay, well, the first people we're going to hire, what's the thing you hate doing the most? Oh, I don't want to do the bank reconciliation or I don't want to do the, you know, whatever it might be or, or reconcile the reports or do the bad statement or, the, or whatever it might be or the payroll. Okay, great. Let's find someone who's super passionate about that. That's going to compliment you. You're going to be more motivated because you get to do, you're going to have more time to do the things you enjoy doing and you don't have to go, oh, I don't want to do that tonight. You know, payroll at when midnight on a Wednesday. So management, uh, marketing, which we just touched on. And so, you know, I think the the easiest way to help your business to succeed is have wave a bigger flag because mm. more people are going to see you exist. And you say, hey, if you're somebody who wants this incredible benefit, now you notice I'm not talking about beaches at all. If you're somebody who wants this in, in you know, if you're somebody who wants to go from A to B and be really comfortable and feel safe, then maybe you should have a look at this car I've got because I think the things that are in it can help you be really comfortable and get you from A to B. Come around and let's talk about how those things help you do what you want to do. Um, and so so marketing is like, can you wave a bigger flag? And marketing is all about attention. And it is literally a popularity contest. Social media, marketing, it's a popularity contest. The most popular person will get the job, will get the win, will get the business. And so you need to think about being the most popular in your industry, in your niche. And, and that's just reality. The most well-known and the most popular so that when I say to you, hey, you know anybody who does, you know, websites, you go, actually, I know the person. But so you don't have to ask that question. You already know who the best person is because you've seen all of their content. Mm. Um, and then obviously money. And um, I'm a huge advocate for Profit First. There's a, there's that great book, Profit First. I just can't remember the author off the top of my head right now. Um, but, you know, revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. And And I think that you know, when I learnt, finally learned that lesson, and I think as entrepreneurs and people that run businesses, people look at us and they go, oh my God, I can't do that. You know, tell me about your business and you love talking about it and your ego kicks in. And we're embarrassed to talk about how profitable our businesses are. Mm -hmm. And I think the entrepreneurial world needs to be embracing the narrative of my business is super profitable. Because if it's, because you can say, oh, my revenue is going through the roof. It's like, yeah, that's great, but you're not making any money. Um, because we've only got a limited time to kind of make our fortune, if you like, if that's the goal is to make, yes, we want to solve the world's global problems and solve the hunger crisis with my new smartphone app. But the reality is with money, you can donate. With money, you can give to charity. With money, you can help people. Uh, with money, you can employ people. With money, you can solve problems. With money, you can build apps. With money, you can do all that kind of stuff. And I think that we're too quick to celebrate revenue growth um and and in fact your business isn't you know there's been some crazy valuations of businesses on revenue um but investors who have real money want to make money from the things they invest in and get a return on their investment and so you're kidding yourself if you think someone's going to invest in your you know you know your 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 tech based on the potential for users and the potential for revenue, real investors with real money that are real big numbers invest in things that throw off money to give them, you know, um, money that they can make in the dark, you know, while they're asleep. Yeah. So you you don't want to take your hard-earned cash and just, you know, put it in a super spec. You know, that's a super speculative stock because um, it's high risk. And, and most people who have, you know, eight, 
figure, you know, eight figures of cash to invest in things will not put things in, you know, those kind of investments unless it's, you know, unless they're, you know, got 11 figures of wealth and they've got eight figures to play with. Um, so, yeah, so they're the four M, the five M's, mindset, momentum, management, marketing and money. Yeah, really good. I mean, you were, you were touching on a few things that that business owners shy away from. You were talking about profit, etc. What are some of the other things that they shy away from? Yeah, look, 100% sales. Um, it's the top of my list. You know, I think that, um, you know, we all try to find, or lots of us try to find ways to avoid selling. Uh, we think selling's greasy. We think it's, you know, it's creepy, it's slimy. I don't like doing it. Um, and what you actually don't like is rejection. No one likes rejection. And it comes from, you know, humans trying to mate with each other and find a mate and animals in the animal kingdom. That's where rejection comes from. And we, and we, you know, we project that across onto sales. What we don't like is people saying no. But if you can flip that over and you can say, well, if someone says no to me or rejects me, I actually haven't explained how they're going to get the incredible benefits from my product or service. And it's on me. It's not on them that they, you know, they didn't like my thing and stuff them. I'll go find somebody else who will like my thing. So I think that, um, you know, you know, if you have, if you're somebody who has a product or service or works in a business that has a product or service or is working with a product or service that does something amazing that really helps people. Now, that could be beautiful food at a beautiful restaurant uh, that helps somebody have an amazing experience that becomes a memorable experience where they, you know, they became a couple and, and had a great relationship for the rest mm -hmm. of their life. Or if you, you know, have a have a product or service or service that brings babies into the world. Or if, you know, you, you know, you have a podcast that, you know, inspires great leaders, then it's unethical of you not to help people into that product or service. And so it is very important to become obviously a great communicator and understand all of the reasons why people over the years have said no to you and have a response for that and say, yes, I agree. And have you thought about this you know, as a objections handling, if you like? So I think we, we think we can sell and we think we can run businesses and we can be entrepreneurs and we can be leaders and we can be people because we're selling all day, every day to everyone around us, you know, including hey, mate, you need to put your school uniform on so you can get to school. That's me selling to my son every morning. Um, and I've got to sell him on the benefits of going to school every day because he doesn't want to go every day. So, you know, when we, so I think we fall into that trap of not being great at selling and avoiding selling. And then we come up with apps and QR codes. And, if, you know, we were, we were talking before we came on the show about, you know, QR codes on tables in restaurants. That's just because the business owners don't want to be out there selling and serving the public. They don't like people. And so we're trying to automate that process and the app people are saying, hey, I can come up with this thing. It's going to do all the selling for you, but you lose the experience and, and, and eventually, you know, we're just racing to the bottom. So, so, you know, I was buying some things online over the weekend and I was just thinking, you know, I've got no human interaction. If this is a great product, I really love it. I buy it once every kind of five or six years. And I think it's amazing. It was $4,000. Um, and you know, I was like, you know what? I'd really love to talk to somebody from this company because I love the product. And I think that I want to give them some recognition for that. But they're like, oh, I don't like selling it. I don't like the product. The, I just want to have an app that or a website that sells my stuff, you know, and then mm. I can get on doing whatever I'm doing. And I actually don't know what that is, you know. Mm. It, it's it's interesting, you know, we're talking about the QR code from a restaurant. And and so I kind of, look, look I understand from a, 
an employer point of view or business point of view, they're going, hey, we want to make it easier, more efficient from our end. But I think what they've forgotten in restaurants is, has it actually made it easier and seamless for the actual customer? You know, I don't know if I've actually found a QR code that has actually speeds up my restaurant experience. In most cases, it slows it down, especially in a group. And it can be can be really challenging, as you say. You miss that upsell of maybe what what is a special, or you know, even finding out what might be the chef's specialty or what they may recommend. So you miss that whole piece as well. But to me, I think you know, and banks do this as well. Let's let's create a phone system that gets you to push ten different buttons before you even get to speak to anyone, and even then, you've got to then wait another thirty to sixty minutes before you talk to someone. So I, I would like to see as we go forward that, you know, as the workforce changes and we look to integrate things like artificial intelligence and more technology, that we think about the human experience along the way. And, and if we are going to be smart business people, are we actually making it more efficient for the business, more efficient or effective for the client? And you know, better for our employees. You know, those all three three parts need to be considered before we decide how or when, how and what type of technology we're going to use. Uh, you know, even a lot of these so-called productivity apps uh, or collaboration apps, do they actually make us more efficient or not? Sometimes, yes, if used in the right way. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where you think the world is is going to trend and maybe some things we need to be aware of when it comes to technology and maybe the changing workforce in the future? Yeah, look, I, I can honestly say, you know, it's trending to automating things that lots of people don't like doing and trending to automating areas where it's difficult to get people to do work. I, th I think that's the first thing, which is we couldn't get servers to serve at restaurants through COVID, like hospitality, you know, staff just evaporated. Um, um, and so, you know, what, what, what happened was university students started working from home and so they stopped going out working in restaurants and cafes because they, they kind of just lost the need to spend money and be out and about. So I need to travel to and from university. I need money. Um, I need clothes. So I need to work. Um, and so the, the kind of, I think if you looked at the average spend of a university student or college age student in Australia, it probably halved through COVID and it hasn't come back. And so then they're not that generation of kids is not coming through and working in those establishments. But so I think there's there's definitely a trend towards obviously apps and automation um, in areas of friction, significant friction or problem in business. Um, that will always be the case. That doesn't mean the customer experience is going to get better. And don't, if you're an app company or a startup company that's doing technology and listening to this, have a good think about the customer experience and the, and the actual end user's experience because yes you may be selling you know setting up a problem and you've got a window of success over the next five years but the human race is going to spin around and the businesses that have stunning service and experience will be the ones that win and that will kill all of your apps and i am an app person don't get me wrong like mm. i'm definitely a technology person but these are things that are not going to be around in 50 years time and and you just look at the rise and fall of Facebook slash Meta, um, and and you know everyone's like, oh wow, it's going to take over the world. And at, at the you know at the at the change of a generation, TikTok storms its way in, 
and takes a huge chunk of Facebook's advertising revenue. Like I'm not spending any money on Facebook advertising anymore. Uh, I may do a little bit in a couple of campaigns that it's are coming up. I'm over-indexing on TikTok. So, um, you know, just that, that, you know, Facebook lost all of my business to TikTok. So when you think about that, you know, if it's easy to create and get going, it's going to be just as easy to take away. So I think that experiential selling, um, you know, it, it is an area. And I think, look, don't get me wrong, there's definitely areas where there's been significant benefit. And I just want to quickly touch on zero, the bookkeeping system. I changed from MYB to zero and and it was also close to that tipping point in our business where a bunch of stuff automated. You know, I did a bank reconciliation this morning myself, you know, as quite a senior person, um, you know, on a couple of our smaller businesses that we're running this morning, you know, at, at 5 a.m. before the family got up. So I think that there's definitely going to be horses for courses, if you like. Mm. Um, but I don't think we can solve everything with technology. You certainly can't have a beautiful, warm beachside holiday um, virtually, you know. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm heading off to um, the Northern Hemisphere in two weeks' time to, for, you know, to catch up with family that we haven't seen from the Northern Hemisphere you know, due to COVID, and I'm looking forward to that. And you can't get that from technology. I've got to get on the plane. I've got to do the 17-hour flight, um, you know, and 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 the two weeks in the hotel. And so I think that, you know, are there some things along the way that are going to help me? Yes, of course. Um, but I'm also, you know, I think there's a generational shift as well occurring at the moment, kind of driven by inflation, which is, you know, there's a younger generation at the moment starting to question whether we need more stuff, you know, Maybe I can live my life with less stuff. Mm. You know, do I actually need a car? Um, I don't need a big screen television. You know, my son is not, I don't think my son will buy a big screen television. Like mm. they look at small screens and they have, you know, whereas we had, you know, big screen TV in every room of the house 20 years ago, um, you know, we've got a tiny little screen in our pocket in every room of the house. So, you know, we just have a think about that. And those of us that are, you know, a, a little bit older, um, and and seen a little bit more, um, you know, I, I can live my life now on my iPhone. I don't need my iPad, my MacBook and my second screen on my computer. And so I think that um, I think life, my prediction is there's going to be a generational shift to pushing life to be more simple. Um, and and that's going to be driven by what we can see on social media. And if I just look at the, you know, the early 20 year olds that have worked for me, over the last couple of years, all they really want to do is be in a bikini or set of board shorts on a beach in Europe in summer drinking cocktails. And all I need for that is an iPhone and a towel and some bathing suits, you know? So, so I think that, I think we've got a shift coming, um, moving from the capitalist society that we have been the last hundred years um, to a more experiential society. And if you're, technology can help improve the experience then it's going to win yeah i like that so you got a book coming out around how to build a business that uh, how to build a business others want to buy you've touched on a couple of things here around you know setting up a business you know in regards to you know profit and even how you structure a team i what, what do you see as kind of the key elements that maybe we haven't touched on already or maybe you just want to touch on them again quickly around, you know, building businesses that you can sell? Yeah, look, I, I think that um, the one thing for me is I, I, I wanted to write a book that had the things that I needed when I was 27. And, 
you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't, um, that's 20 years ago, by the way. Um, I, I haven't had those things, you know, come to me in, in kind of a succinct way. So for me, it was like writing my own playbook um, that I can give to anyone that's working in the businesses that I'm part of and say, hey, here's the playbook for how we're going to build this business. Um, I think that the, you know, it's always going to change what what investors value and what buyers value and the reasons that they're buying businesses. But we're about to go into a, you know, a period of time where there's a lot of baby boomers that uh, essentially, you know, have been running businesses, been very entrepreneurial the last 30, 40, 50 years, and they don't have anyone to hand the business to. Um, they're thinking, you know, what, I might just sell the equipment and close up shop. And in fact, I see that on Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace every night. Um, I troll Facebook Marketplace to see what people are kind of buying and selling and what the, you know, the, the what the black market's got going on with different things. And I'm seeing lots of civil equipment, lots of construction equipment just being sold. I'm shutting my business. I'm selling my stuff. And businesses have value. They have customers. They have, you know, lists of phone numbers. They have reputations of, you know, of various levels of quality. Um, but they all have an intrinsic value. And whether it's cents in the dollar on profit or whether it's dollars on top of dollars on profit they can be all valued and some small things could be done that that mean that those businesses don't need to just close and be gone from providing meaningful services to society and they can be handed over to the next generation and and perpetuated and you know i think just to use australia as a case study um you know i like to talking internationally but we're starting to see some businesses come on the horizon here in Australia that have been around for over 100 years. And I think that's really exciting. And, you know, when we look at the statistics that, you know, 50% of businesses fail in the first year, another 20% fail in the second year, that's 70% of businesses that start are gone in 24 months. And there's some really simple things that we've put in the book that are going to help you avoid that mistake. So if you're somebody who's thinking about starting a business early and running a business, you know, kind of consuming this content and, you know, listening to podcasts and trying to like, find things you know we've we've put a bunch of stuff in the book that really helps people kind of you know prompts if you like um and then you can wander off into my youtube channel or my website or other people's content or the books i recommend um to get a bit, a bit more information so it's kind of like the index if you like uh, of finding stuff and when i say we um i've worked on the project with a bunch of great people um in, you know including bernadette schwert who uh, who helped me actually take what comes out of my mouth and actually put it into readable black and white words on paper. Um, and it's a huge amount of credit to her. She's had a couple of successful books herself, including um, The Secrets of Online Entrepreneurs. Um, that's a great book by Bernadette Schwartz. So if you haven't got that, get a copy of that. And um, you can put these two things together and, and, uh, and they're amazing. Yeah, outstanding. Cool. I look forward to reading it. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Last week, I rode a motorbike on the road for the very first time with a license. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've got a bucket list. Um, and um, yeah, so I bought myself a Honda Posty bike. Uh, it's a little Honda CT125. I'm doing a charity motorbike ride uh, later on this year, so I need to do some practice. So, yeah, so um, I've got a bunch of things coming up that are kind of first for me. Um, but, yeah, last week, literally, I was like, oh, my God, helmet, gloves, jacket, pants on my posty bike up the street with the old plates on the back. And, uh, yes, it was stoked. So I think everyone should do lots more things for the first time. Now, that's the first time I've had someone buying a posty bike uh, on the show. <laughs> What is the one question that you would love to solve? 
Look, I, I would love more businesses to be successful and buck the statistic of failure. And, and so I would love to see more people go in and start and run businesses and those be profitable and give them the, you know, the financial health and wealth that they desire. And if we could, you know, if, if a few more of us could contribute to that, when a business fails at the other end of the spectrum, it can have massive implications, you know, including, you know, entrepreneurs committing suicide, um, but it can have massive implications on family members of the entrepreneur or the person who started the business, the children, you know, kids, you know, having to leave their house and their home and their school and their suburb because, you know, the, the business failed and the, and, the, and the funding wasn't there anymore to have to maintain that lifestyle and and I think if, you know, if we can all chip in and, and maybe, you know, help improve that statistic, that business value rate, that, that will be amazing. Brilliant. What is an inspiring great leader to you and who is a great example of this? I think um, an inspiring great leader to me is somebody who helps me gain experience, uh, lets me make mistakes in a safe environment and coaches me through those mistakes so a helps me to let me make them so that experience we're always looking for you know we're all looking for staff and people to join our businesses who have got experience um but sometimes we need to grow our own internally and so for me if i can have a leader leading me in whatever way shape or form that lets me kind of you know have my aspirations um you know lead me down a path they've already walked say watch out for this step in that It'll hurt, but, you know, you've got to step in it to learn. That's a good, you know, it helps me learn lessons. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want the helicopter parent who keeps pulling us out of the swimming pool, you know, you've got to let us drown a little bit, um, you know, and then pull us out and resuscitate us, if you like. Um, and I think that I've been watching people and there's certainly been people lately. Like, you know what, actually, I'm going to let them learn that lesson a little bit, but then I'm going to pull them back and help them. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you know couple of the people that I've worked for let me do that uh, specifically Karen Pinney um, you know she was amazing David Argles he was amazing Dan McKinnon he was amazing um, you know some of my early bosses uh, let me kind of make mistakes but also could see that I was motivated and passionate and wanted to work hard and had the customer you know at the top of my forefront of you know caring um, and, and I think that if you see people like that please embrace them. Uh, it's been an inspiring conversation, Kobe. Uh, how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, 100%. All my handles are Kobe Simmet, K-O-B-I-S-I-M-M-A-T. Uh, all my handles on all of the social media platforms, my YouTube channel, my website is kobesimmet.com. And if they really are desperate to email me, I'm not very good with email, but kobesimmet at gmail.com. Beautiful. We'll chuck those links in the show notes uh, so people can find you easily uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today i i loved hearing about your your journey through school uh your understanding of how to i suppose understand the system in a way once you got to university and tafe uh to your real entrepreneurial mindset and real willingness to not just only serve people but think about how we can help benefit uh, people and that been a real centerpiece in the way that you've approached your life in business. Uh, but lots of great gems along the way and uh, to help people understand how they can build businesses more effectively and create businesses that not only can 
I suppose, survive, but thrive in the future. Uh, some great insights into how you think technology could be used more effectively going forward. Um, so thank you very much uh, for your time today. It was a real, real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for having me. And um, you're doing great with the show. And um, I'm an avid listener. And um, once again, if anybody needs to contact me, please hit me with any questions. I'm more than happy to help. So uh, thanks, mate. It's been amazing. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.